The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This is a reading from Hebrews 10, 19-25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Praise be to Christ. Hi, my name is Stacy Croft. Thank you, Jenny. We're, uh, I am the lead pastor here at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church at Music Row, and if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you. We have a reception right after this as well, and uh, I told my son that. He was like, are we still, even though we're doing the, like, the 9 and 11 thing, do we still have like donuts? When does that happen? And I told him that like after, in between every service, he literally hugged me. Like he jumped on me and gave me a hug. Uh, so, I don't expect you to do that, but I'd love to meet you uh, after the service. Um, But this Sunday is um, one that we do every year, actually. Uh, It's called Vision Sunday. You may not even know that. But we consider Vision Sunday, the Sunday right after Labor Day, is where we kind of set the tone of of who we are and where we're going. Because isn't that the question? A lot of times um, we come to church and uh, we leave, but often we ask the question, where are we to go next? Like, what are the, what, what do we do as a people of God, as a gathering, right? And uh, a lot of people do this. They have vision statements um, and ways that they do that. I don't know if you've, you've ever heard vision statements. You know, some of you are familiar with the, the old movie, uh, Jerry Maguire. They made fun of vision and mission statements. Uh, but <clears throat> mission statements, vision statements, one is uh, I, th- I was kind of thinking about this for today. I was thinking, what, what companies have these kind of things? And what are there? So McDonald's mission statement is this, to be our customer's favorite place and way to eat and drink. Pretty simple. Uh, I don't know if it is your favorite, but there you go. Uh, Southwest Airlines, to become the world's most loved, flown, and most profitable airline. Pretty simple. That's where they want to go. I'd say most of us are helping them in that endeavor. Google's is this, to organize the world's information and make it universally acceptable and useful. I'd say they're doing pretty well with that. We, we log on them quite a bit. I mean, essentially what Google does is they copy the internet, right? And they just put it back out for us. Uh, and so we, they've made an incredible business of it. Disney, Disney's is this. Listen, theirs is a little longer, and I'm not quite sure. See if you can catch in here what theirs is. Using our portfolio of brands to differentiate our content, services, and consumer products, we seek to develop the most creative, innovative, and profitable entertainment experiences related to the products in the world. Most of us are like, hey, just make the lines shorter so we can ride your rides. Like, that's to us their vision statement, right? But essentially, um, why a vision statement? Why does the church need to have something where we promote 
something that when you leave, you kind of know what we're about, where we're going. Here's why. And here's the difference. Because it could be easy for us to hear those and say, are we just like every, everyone else? And isn't that part of the issue? See, this passage is telling us otherwise. A vision statement tells us what we value. And the difference between, and, and I was listening uh, between the church and everything else, is, is this huge thing. I was listening to Ira Glass, who oftentimes does This American Life or NPR kind of things. He's, a, he's um, Jewish by descent, actually. He was talking about when his mother died, what was his encouragement? He went back to uh, Temple. And he, he found himself not being even a, really a, a believer in God, but a believer in Judaism, which was an interesting dynamic. Finding that the words that he went in and, and the things that were being promoted and said over and over in Hebrew, even the things he even started quoting them on his show, became kind of comforting to him and yet confusing to him. And the honesty of, like, what's the, what, what are these words that we do? Is this like any other thing in life? He said, what, why does God need us to do this? Why does God need us to come and say all these things to Him and meet together? And what, what's the point of that? He's asking, actually, a very good question. What is the difference between the church and anything else I just read? Here's the ma major message, and you can see it in this passage it's driving forth, that the difference is that we're not promoting a product. This is not about me. This church is not about me. It's not about uh, us getting together, having two services. It's not about any of that. What this is about is proclamation of a person. And because of that, if that's true, if that's the reality, then it makes the vision of us worshiping, connecting, and serving Simple things. That's not rocket science. It makes us leave here and it not just be words that don't comfort us in times of suffering or words that go, is God just kind of peddling himself? No, it, it tells us that God isn't trying to become a product or make something that we just take as a part of our day, but that it shapes every part of us because it's a grand narrative, a story that shapes not just a vision, but our, our vision to see how we live our lives through Him. So as we, as we approach this, this uh, passage today, we're really honing in for the next six weeks on those three things. Our vision of becoming disciples of Christ, and it, and it comes through worshiping, connecting, and serving. We're going to look at worship today and next week. And Today we're talking, as you even saw here, about what does it mean to gather together, to worship together in that value. Because this is huge for how we understand. If we don't understand why, do we, what's the point of church? Especially in a city that has uh, churches on every corner. Uh, what does it mean for us to actually understand that this is vital to our life as Christians? To the way that we live here and live. And we're going to look at this in three, three parts. One is the confidence. You kind of saw this. It's all the language that comes out in this passage of Hebrews. Hebrews, we actually don't know who wrote Hebrews, but if you look in your Bible, your Bible's laid out with all these letters from a man named Paul. Hebrews is there, and then there's a book named James. And the re reason Hebrews is there, because we don't know whether Paul wrote Hebrews or someone else, but the language that Hebrews uses is so beautiful to tell us, what does it mean for us to gather together as Christians, to have First, confidence. Second, we have a confession. And third, how do we consider encouraging each other, actually taking one another seriously as Christians together? When the passage starts, it says, therefore, brothers. 
since we have a confidence to enter into the holy places. And brothers, by the way, is an interchangeable Greek word for family. It's not just masculine, but it's, it's all men and women. Therefore, is saying there's something before this that's being summarized. Because of this, we have confidence to enter into the holy places. Confidence. There's something to access. This is kind of unique language because we're not, uh, and maybe you are from a background of, of this, of, uh, of a Judaic background where you're used to talking about this kind of language, but I would assume most of us are not. And talking about confidence to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus, even if you come from a church background, uh, it may be familiar language, but what does that really mean to have confidence? to have access, to get into places that we are not meant or able to get into. It's a huge thing. Confidence is a massive discussion today, especially in light of the way we deal with anxiety, stress, those kind of things. Uh, as a, a specific article even talked about from the time, New York Times, it said practical ways to improve our self-confidence. It comes from anything from hyper work, you know, uh, working, you know, hyper honesty, working out, uh, trying to make yourself uh, comfortable in uncomfortable spaces. There's all sorts of ways to try and work that out. But the, the tenet of this article that I really appreciated was saying, how do you balance having confidence in life, not growing too arrogant, and overcoming your self-doubt? I thought that was really fascinating. How do you do that? How do we, in all the spaces we interact with, do that? Even coming into a church, maybe this is uh, not a typical space you come into, and maybe even if it is, you come in here with a kind of a weird confidence. Maybe I feel confident that I'm coming to church, so therefore I feel close to God. Or maybe you feel uncomfortable because you're new here. Maybe this is your first time visiting to church or to this church, and you're kind of feeling like, who's going to say hi to me? All of that ranges in, right? We can come with that balance. Is, is life simply that? Is that what confidence is? What's this is interesting is talking about is a different kind of confidence. Confidence for me, I don't know about you, but you can feel confident, one thing, right? If you feel confident, sometimes you can overcome things, even if you, you don't feel great about things, right? And oftentimes we attach our confidence to our feelings or then our skill, right? If you, you tend to avoid things that you don't feel confident doing, if you feel like you can't do a certain work project or you can't do a certain uh, sport or you can't... Uh, you know, address something well. Maybe you avoid conflict even because you don't feel confident addressing that, right? We, we feel confident and we also avoid those things. I know I was, uh, I've been playing tennis a little more this summer and I'll play across the street with a group of guys and what happens often is they, have, they set you up on these courts and the, there's a number one court and a four court and, you know, four is the lowest. So you, you're just placed on a court. If you lose... Uh, or if somebody wins across, they yell, bump, and that means they get to bump you down to the next court, and they come on. And so it's like, oh, man, you know, like, <laughs> you just automatically just go, oh, I got bumped down. And so you kind of, you shuffle down the court. And even if you make it to the first one, you can get knocked down just like that. I mean, is that what confidence is? Obviously, you know, we, we can put our confidence in those kind of things. This confidence is driving home a language that's very different. It's talking about an access of confidence, holy places, by the blood of Jesus. It is actually external to any way that you feel, any skill that you have, any process of even coming into a church and feeling like you are confident to connect to God because you're actually here. That still doesn't 
give us access. This kind of confidence means the access comes through the blood of another. It means there's an external reality, a reality that is there regardless of what you think. And the language is very stark. It, again, it, it could be strange to you, even if, you, if you've read the Bible. It is somewhat odd to talk about this, the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened up to us through the curtain. What, what is this? Through His flesh? That we have a great high priest? See, here's the idea, is for them reading this, they had the idea of the temple, of this place where God met His people in a place called the holiest of holies. And there was a giant curtain that they made. It was beautiful that they erected that to keep people out and keep God in. There was only one person, the priest, that could enter in at certain specific times to do so on behalf of the people. And so for them, when they had this idea of access, how do you gain access? How can you go in? How do you connect to God? You couldn't go in unless the priest did for you. So when this language came up, it said, we now have confidence. It's not because you feel it. It's, and, and isn't that what we feel like as Christians? We wake up and we, we feel close to God. Or because we do quiet times or we do things that are spiritually connected, we think we have confidence. This confidence is saying, regardless of how you feel, regardless of how you've sinned, your reality and confidence approaching God is in Jesus. It's all through Him. It's all through His blood. It's through someone who actually put their life down, who is actually His blood and body, His flesh, like the curtain. At one point, the curtain was torn, it says in the New Testament, that the curtain was ripped apart. And it's saying that Jesus was actually the one ripped apart. That it's through the reality of another that we can come, a new and living way. And this means that it's not just a one-time thing. A living way means you can access it any time. But he's saying specifically, and notice the language, we have this. It's all this plural language. It's not an individual thing. We can read this passage and think it's just for me. But it's saying we, we come together in this this vein with confidence. We have confidence. We have access. That when we come together, this high priest is calling us forward in that way. And a high priest is, is, a, is someone who, who puts themselves in the position to connect. Let me give you an illustration of that. I, I haven't done it in a while, but I had a friend that used to, um, and some of you may know who he is, Casey Kramer. He used to uh, be a chaplain for the Tennessee Titans. And uh, a couple times that he asked me when he was out of town to speak to the Titans, it was actually pretty fun. It was an awesome experience. One of those, um, he was not able to go. The first time he was, and I was able to speak, and he was there. And, but the second time, he was, I'm out of town, I need you to go. And so I remember driving to the Titans practice facility, and I pull into this, you know, gated thing way out there off Rosa Parks, and um, feeling so out of place, and then walking up to, first there's a guard saying, are you, are, what are you here for? And I said, I'm here to speak at chapel. And he said, are you Casey? I'm like, well, might as well call me that. Everybody else does. Um, so he said, just go on inside. So I go inside this incredible, immaculate, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to their facility before. They have the logo on the floor. It's this high ceiling. There's just a glass window. I had to walk up. And I had to wait there. I had to tell him what I was there for and wait for somebody to come get me. And it wasn't really me saying I'm speaking at chapel. It was I had to say Casey's name in order for them to know who I was. 
in order for me to be brought back. And then once I did, man, they brought me back. I ate there with them. I was able to speak. They talked to me as if I was Casey. They were probably confused, some of them, because I get that a lot. Some of you are like, hey, Casey, how are you doing? Stacy doesn't ring as well. Um, and so they brought me back, and I had this access to places I, I wouldn't otherwise. I was able to speak to them and have the coaches and trainers and all these people address me and invite me in in ways I never would have. It wasn't enough for me to say words. It had to be through Casey Kramer, through this guy who is the actual chaplain. That, that is the idea of what is, get, is being gotten at here. Is that it's through Jesus. It's through this one that we have confidence and access. It's not through me walking into the facility and feeling like I, I had the great message or I was, you know, hey, I played football in high school. You know, like, they'd go, oh, that's great, little guy. Um, you know, that's not how you get access. The access has to come through someone else. Think about how that transforms your confidence in even just coming to church. It's not about you singing songs and trying to evoke some passion and emotion to feel like you're connected to God. If the reality is that the blood, that the body of Christ, that Jesus himself is our high priest, and he's not just, here's what's unique about him, he's not just the one who makes the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. If he's the one we come to God through, then we don't have to sit and pretend that coming and singing together is how we just kind of go through the motions. Think about the, the confidence. We can come and you can sit in the pew and feel as though you are disconnected, you're struggling, and still have confidence that you have access to God because it's not on how you feel. How freeing is that? How freeing is it that you can leave here and fail over and over and know that your confidence isn't the fact that you're failing, but on the success of the priest who has given himself as a sacrifice? Think about how that transforms your shame. Even the way it says here in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It means both physically and mentally and emotionally that you're sprinkled clean. This is not something you, you can muster up. This is something that's been done in you and for you. Look, there's a great theologian name, and this is a great theologian name. Listen to this, Horatio Bonner. I mean, if there's a, like, Horatio, like, that's what a great name for a great theologian. Listen to what he says about this. He says, I grant you, and I know it well, that much faith brings much comfort from Christ and carries much glory to Him. But the way to get much faith is not to look at it, not to look at our own faith, as we do, but at the Savior. Not to look at your hand, but at Jesus. Not how you hold him, but that he is yours and holds you and your faith too. And therefore, we shall never perish but have everlasting life. That means the faith we have, the, 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 the confidence we can have drawing together and be, being the church is based on Christ. It's based on the proclamation of a person, not a product that will fade, not just a mere vision statement that can change from time to time. This, what we're talking about with worshiping, connecting, and serving, what we're talking about worship is that this is vital to us. Meeting together like this is vital because we have access together to God through Jesus Christ, through Him. Nothing else can clean your conscience 
other than going through Jesus in him. And that's us doing it together. The reason we do, listen to this, the reason we do that confession both publicly and privately, because we come in him. And this is what's beautiful about the next line in this, is the confession. It's not just the confidence we have, because we can't come together and gather unless we have this confession. Listen to what verse 23 says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What is a confession? Why is it important, right? Why confession? Because the word confession actually means homologain. It actually is a word that means what you say publicly is who you are. And this is a hugely important thing for especially them because as they were being persecuted for their faith, would they hold publicly, would they hold fast, meaning gripping tightly the confession that they are followers of Jesus? Because you could be publicly ridiculed for it and even slaughtered for it in the sense that your confession is who you are. It's incredibly powerful, incredibly important. The confession you held determined that. Think about how important this is. If our confidence to access God is through Jesus and we proclaim that, if that's our confession, shouldn't that change the way that we handle our life publicly from here? Shouldn't this not end our week, but begin our week to send us out to confess publicly what we really follow? what we really believe, what we really care about. In a city like this one, like I mentioned before, it can be so easy to say, okay, Christianity's in the water, uh, church on every corner. It can even become a part of the kind of the, 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 just the sound in the background that, yeah, I have my church, you have your church, we have these things. But what this is saying is that the confession is more than that, that we hold fast to something. We proclaim not just Jesus and everything else, but we proclaim a narrative that transforms the way that we live everything else. It is something we cling to. And, and we cling to a lot of things. We confess a lot of things publicly. Here's what, here's what we're getting at. Maybe you confess to a diet that you publicly claim. Maybe it's a golf game. Maybe it's a neighborhood. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. What are the things that we confess, that we proclaim publicly, we're not ashamed of, we're willing to proclaim publicly because we confess this and we have this and this, we hold fast to this and this makes our life. If the only access we have, the confidence we have, not in our feeling, not in doing other things, is through Jesus, what should we be proclaiming? What should be our confession? What should exude joy? I went to a concert last night with some friends here even it was so interesting not just to listen at the concert, but to actually watch the people around us, to watch people interact with what was being played and how much they enjoyed it and how much we actually enjoyed watching them. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, people who, in, in some ways, we were watching it even at a, a venue at the symphony, and, um, and they were asking in terms of, this wasn't like exit in or something like that, where you could actually, you know, move around and dance and enjoy. Like, some people were staying up, moving and enjoying, and they had people coming around saying, please, uh, please, could you sit down, sir, ma'am? You know, it's one of those things, like trying to hush. Why were those people doing that? Why were they, because they were expressing the confession of this. This music tells who I am. This is what I want to be proclaimed of who I am. And I don't care if anybody sees. 
How do we hold fast if this is true, the confession of who God is? Because here's what I, I read something that was fascinating, that most of our, our not caring, our errors, our, our straying away from church isn't because we're necessarily cynical or we don't agree with it so much, but most of the time, the reason we feel distant from church and gathering together as, as people is because we're bored. I love what this, uh, this one theologian said. Listen to what he said. He said, not always, but many times when we stray from our faith, it's not just being cynical, but being bored. Sadly, when boredom leads Christians to stop going to church, even if they say they still believe in Jesus, it almost always leads them to theological heterodoxy. That means straying away, just kind of on your own. And this should be unsurprising to us, of course. Church community is one of the great checks against our heresy. In other words, that our errors. In other words, keeping us in thinking and discussing these things. Churchless DIY faith inevitably becomes unorthodox. When we began, and this is what this passage gets at. It's saying they have to meet together and hold fast their confession. It's not, again, this isn't about me and us being together. This is about what do we really hold fast? What do we grip? What really makes us us? And if it is Christ, if it is in this great high priest, this one that gives us access, then our confession that we hold fast should mean that we hold this together fast. We don't just hold the confession. We hold one another in our story together in Jesus as huge and important. That is not this DIY faith. In other words, it's not just us making it up as we go along, that we keep each other in check and in line together. We're discussing these things, that we're talking about the gospel, that we're doing this, that keeps us from ditching our faith because we're together in it, because this is our confession and one of the things that's interesting about this idea in our culture and the way that we operate, especially in Western culture, we have a heavy emphasis on individualism, the one. And in many other non or Eastern cultures, there's a heavy emphasis on collectivism. And there's all this research now in business and in the United States and across the globe about the individual versus the collective. Like individualism and collectivism and how it impacts business and life and relationships and culture. But if you think about it, it, it impacts us everywhere. Even, uh, you know, at Vanderbilt or at Belmont or these campuses around us, there, there's this emphasis. You probably experienced this in some way. When you go into a campus, there's a, a, a vital role of the campus. Hey, I go to Belmont. I wear these colors. I go to, you know, I'm, I'm, and, but then there are the, all these little groups, these subsects, right? Whether it's a fraternity, whether it's a club that say, hey, be like us, right? There's the many and the one, Right? Be your individual self. Make yourself somebody. Do that. But wait, wait, wait. you got to be like us. And there's this tension over and over. You feel it in our culture now, in our world. Many of you may be feeling that presently of longing to be in a relationship, longing to have children, not in the specific age and stage of everybody else. And it can feel so incredibly isolating. And that the, as if there is this prerequisite for us to be in the right spot at the right time our certain family in schools, our certain life in neighborhood, our certain whatever it looks like for us. But this is saying that our confession is more than that. There's only one place that you can see both the one and the many come together, and it is in the church. 
And it, it, that the one, the individualistic idea doesn't, in, in this idea that we have specifically in a Western culture of the individual is to give, to help product, you know, help provide and collaborate and give for the collective whole. That's not what this is talking about. It's saying the one and the many come together. You are not compromised in the value that who you are as an individual. But why do we gather together at this table? Why do we come forward and do this? Because you do, yes, take your bread and your wine. It is yours to take. But what are you doing? You're doing it with everyone else. That's why it's called communion. You're communing with one another and God at the same time. There's this connectivity, this togetherness that we need to move past. We need to understand that the big tenets of the faith and why church is important is because we're not just heralding something. This is not another product we're doing. We're proclaiming the fact that this body and this blood brings us together. See, that's the, that's the way that this passage actually ends. It ends with this. It ends with us considering one another. Notice the last verse there. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, this passage and this hope of what we have in front of us means that we gather together because we're showing a picture of what's to come. This is a picture of what we're supposed to be. This is considering, in, in other words, even it says, the, the Greek there, to stir one another together, it means to provoke. We are actually supposed to provoke each other in love and good deeds in Christ. How are we practicing? Literally, and this is the practical application of this. How are we practicing meeting together regularly in worship, in gathered worship, to hear the word, to, hear, to see those baptized, to, to receive the body and blood of Jesus, to say, here's what I proclaim publicly that, that matches in congruence to how I live when I leave this place. This is what it means to come together, to share, not just because when you come to church, you're not just coming just you. You're coming because you're coming together. And that's why we do communion every week. To come to this table means you mean some, it means a lot more than just taking bread and wine. It means you have access through someone. In fact, the Romans believed that the Christians that came to take this were cannibals. <laughs> they thought they were crazy. Why would you take the body and blood of Jesus? Because everything else in their culture was peddling. Here, you can have your God, that's great. But you've got to also worship these other things. Are we going to confess and pro publicly proclaim that this God is unlike any other? This is the only one that gives us access. The only one by his body and blood that we can do this. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, there's a long obedience in the same direction. He said, what it means to come to this table to consider provoking one another means that we have a long obedience in the same direction. That when you come take this bread and this wine, that you're proclaiming an obedience to someone who gives you access, but we're moving all together in the same direction. We're carrying it forward in one confession. With that, let's stand together.